Growing a small business has never been easy. So, how can we build our companies and shortcut the learning curve? By getting advice from the people who've done it before. Everything you need to grow your business is right here. I'm Simon Lader. Welcome to the conference room. Good afternoon and welcome to the conference room. I'm joined today by Laurie Conkler. Laurie is the CEO and founder behind the Zenial Traveller Company, a consulting business with one simple goal, helping her clients become confident business owners, inspirational leaders, and the go-to person in their field. Now, back in 2016, Laurie ditched her 95 corporate job. She was the director of sales and marketing for Aramark. They're a Fortune 500 company that manufacture uniforms and various other things. And she sought out a new life of freedom working on her time, at her pace, and on her terms from anywhere in the world. Now, since then, Laurie has been riding the entrepreneurial roller coaster, taking notes along the way. She's invested everything she had into making four online businesses successful while discovering the one formula that she believes helped them thrive. Now, through her elite coaching programs, marketing agency and consulting services, she helps entrepreneurs step into the next level of their remote business growth. And I'm delighted to say that she's coming to the conference room to tell us all about it. Laurie Conkler, good afternoon and welcome to the conference room. Good afternoon and thank you for that wonderful welcome. <laughs> it's a genuine pleasure. Now, every hero has an origin story and you're the hero of our story. So tell me, how did you get from just starting out through to those dizzying heights in the corporate world and then onto setting up your own business? So I had actually gone to school for hospitality and tourism management uh, back in the day. We won't say the year. We're far too polite. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I was in the hospitality and tourism industry, primarily hotels and tourism entities. So Aramarca had a, what they call their leisure line of business. So instead of doing the uniform side of things, I was working in the conference center side of things. So my background, I had many years of experience running running hotels, managing both sales and marketing teams, as well as the, the operational teams uh, prior to getting that role with Aramark. So. Right. Okay. And then what was it that inspired you to then transition out of the corporate world and into remote working? Yes. I honestly was kind of sick of somebody else having control of my life. And I know that sounds maybe a bit dramatic. However, you know, when you're in that corporate world, you do have someone telling you when you can take a vacation, when you can schedule your doctor's appointment, you know, when you can do everything in your life, when you can leave for the day. And that was something that had bothered me even before Aramark, you know, just for a long time in my career. But the kind of that aha moment for me was I had saved up all of my vacation time. I paid time off and my husband and I took a month long vacation. We went to Fiji and New Zealand and it was amazing, beautifully warm. And then we came back to our jobs in Wisconsin in the middle of winter. And for those 
those who are not familiar with what Wisconsin is like in the winter, it is a terrible place to be. <laughs> Beautiful in the those, summer, terrible. For those people who are not familiar with winter in Wisconsin, good luck and well done. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, you know, we came back and we had that realization that we had this amazing vacation, but now we have no time off. We can't even go to the doctor unless we want to take it unpaid. And we're stuck here in this cold, horrible climate that we don't want to be in. We can't go outside. We can't do anything. And we can't even take a vacation to get away from it because we don't have any time off left. So we kind of just took a life, a, a look at our life and said, you know, we want something to change. We were in a good position. We had money in the bank. We had a good credit score. We were in a position where we could make the call to walk away and take some risk. And that is exactly what we did. So two months later, we were on a plane to the U.S. Virgin Islands and the rest is kind of history. <laughs> so what happened next? What was the first online business that you started? Sure. And I actually started that before we left our jobs officially. I started building it uh, and that was my wedding and event planning business. Uh, so 99% uh, of it is done online. I do consulting, but some couples do still prefer that I am on site. So that was kind of the first one. From there, within another two months, we also launched a furniture design business uh, and that was Primarily my husband's, I did the marketing sales kind of account management. He was the artist. <laughs> okay. And in terms of these two businesses, mm -hmm. and then I know we'll probably come to talk about the other two mm -hmm. in just a moment, but these two businesses, did you start to see a pattern emerging of what was working in terms of the business growth? Yes, but I did not see it in the beginning. <laughs> I did okay. not see it in the beginning, which led me to some failures, which I don't necessarily like to call failures, some obstacles, because I truly do believe, you know, failures are an obstacle and the obstacle is the way to success. And the more failures you have, the closer you are to success. So, okay. So at what point did things start to crystallize? And at what point did the, the formula we alluded to in the intro did that start to present itself? So uh, I will say that that didn't happen immediately. So we started those two businesses. We made the leap. We moved. We started that entrepreneurship life. And about six months in, realized, okay, we aren't gaining traction with the way we're doing things. Like things are slowly trickling in. We're getting some visibility, but we're not sustaining ourselves. And one of us is going to have to go back to work, which was me. And at that point that I started to test different methods because I wanted obviously to make my business is my main source of income. And that was, um, like I said, about six months after I had initially started. And that process probably took a good like year and a half to two years of figuring out those formulas of what worked in terms of, you know, my branding, my social media, and just kind of the methods that we use to really bring clients in because the back end of the business, doing the business, that was easy. It's the marketing and the sales aspect of how you actually get people to come to you that are the tough part. So at this point, it would be fair to say that within the event planning and furniture design worlds, you were the best kept secret in the industry. You provided great work, but not enough people knew about it. Exactly. Exactly. Right. You know, in the beginning, it's kind of like, okay, I put up a website, I have a logo, I have business cards. Why isn't everybody knocking down my door? You know, I couldn't. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I had a background in sales and marketing, but when it's your own business, it's very different. No, for sure. And unfortunately, those of us who've seen Field of Dreams just believe that if you build it, they'll come. But it's not really true, is it? No, it's not. And I had to have a very difficult conversation with a client earlier on this exact subject, actually. 
we'll come to that in a few minutes. That sounds intriguing. So at what point did things start to come together and how did that begin to inform this formula? Sure. So what was the aha moment, to put it another way? The aha moment, well, it was probably, honestly, about three years in to these businesses. uh, And it was because Again, it was just trickling in. It wasn't self-sustaining at that point. And one of us had to have a full-time job still in order to be able to sustain those businesses. And it was kind of that aha moment of, well, I'm using social media in my business, but I'm not using it correctly. And that's when I started, honestly, to discover Instagram. I had never been a real big fan of Instagram and I had stayed steered pretty clear of it uh, on a personal level, but I started to realize the power of it, especially in our furniture design business, as I started to dabble a little bit more in that. And that's when more testing started and it was still a slow roll, but that led me to seek help and to get a coach of my own. And that support and accountability, that's kind of what the game changer really was for me is, is having someone else to kick my butt and tell me you need to do the work now that you've figured out how to do it. (laughs) Right. Okay. So what typically now fast forwarding, you've got four successful businesses Mm -hmm. uh, that are able to sustain your Mm -hmm. independent remote lifestyle. Okay. Mm -hmm. And one of those businesses is your consulting business where you're talking to and working with other entrepreneurs helping them take their business to the next level, okay? And in that, what are the primary problems that you're seeing your clients are coming to you with? Well, I would say like the number one issue that I see people coming to me with is not knowing how to get a consistent flow of clients from an online source. Like Everybody knows like I can go meet people locally, but it's that online world. Like how do I actually get these people to notice me and to want to work with me? And why aren't they coming, Lori? (laughs) That's number one is that visibility online and getting people to actually want to work with you. One of the other big problems that I see is just, especially the last two years with the pandemic, that there's just so much noise online and there's so much, I did this uh, and I made a million dollars and my client did that and you know they got fifty thousand dollars and all these noises try it you know download this tool and it'll work for you and people come to me so lost and frustrated and unsure because they're like I'm trying all the things that everybody's telling me but I'm not getting any results like I don't have clients I don't have money I can't leave my job they're just kind of at a loss because they just keep spinning their wheels and they're not sure what steps to take next and what they're doing wrong Right. And I can imagine that the world has changed a lot in the last two years. And Mm -hmm. and I've seen one of the big results of the pandemic is that there are lots and lots of people that during the course of the pandemic use that time to brush up and learn Mm -hmm. um, online marketing and social media marketing techniques that hitherto they haven't, which has created a slew of people, many of whom are all pretty much doing the same thing. They've all done either the One Funnel Away Challenge that Russell Brunson does, or they've done something from Dean Graziosi. And I'm not in any way impugning any of these people. These guys are Mm -hmm. great and they do a really good job. But when the only advice that people are getting is, go build a funnel on ClickFunnels or something else of your choice. Go make a lead magnet. Put out, you know, stick an ad on Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn with a lead magnet, telling people within your demographic to go download it. And then the business will flood in, right? And then people going through those steps 
I think are failing to realize is everybody else is doing it right now. And if you're doing that today, you know, mid, late 2022 or beyond, then you're very late to the game. And your ideal customers have seen an advert like this offering a lead magnet like this a thousand <laughs> times before and probably 10 times already today. So what do you do? And this is something where I don't know if everybody's familiar with the, you know, the term personal branding, but this is really like where this comes into play because very, very true. Like you said, everybody's doing kind of the same thing. And I'm not going to pretend even that like my courses are that unique necessarily in the aspect of just like the content, but it's how we teach it that, that maybe is a bit different, but building a personal brand, meaning building credibility in yourself uh, and being an authority, whether I don't like to call it an influencer, really, I don't, it's building credibility and authority for yourself in the online space. And that is how you set yourself apart. If you just post on social media, like, hey, do you want to hire a social media manager? Hire me, DM me, you know, for information. If you need a, a social media manager, or you need a digital marketing specialist or whatever, you know, if everybody's just saying that and you're just plopping it on social media, you're not going to get clients. It's about building a brand, being the face of your brand, putting yourself out there. That doesn't mean that you have to be on a billion different social media platforms and that you have to be going live every two seconds, but it does mean that you need to be the face of your brand. And I equate it to when people think of like some like big brands out there, one that always you know comes to mind for me, well, there's a couple, I guess, but when it comes to personal brands, when you think Virgin, like Virgin Mobile, Virgin Galactic, Virgin Airlines, who do you think of? Do you think of a person? Yeah. Sir Richard Branson. Exactly. He like is a genius when it comes to personal branding because he has built that empire solely, I think, you know, based around him as a person because people resonate with him as a person. It's not that Virgin is necessarily any better than any other airline. Well, it is a little bit, but <laughs> you know, it's that he is different than other people. And, and that, do you know what? Just on that, that brand. Point, yeah, just on that point, I think it's interesting. You talk about Virgin because I think what's fascinating about Virgin is that when people think of Virgin, they think of a young, hip, plucky outsider, you know, putting consumers <laughs> first against the big businesses and the establishment, right? Yep. Richard Branson's a gazillionaire, right? He's <laughs> older than your and my mum and dad, right? Yep, and yet yep. he still has cultivated and continues to cultivate this image of being the plucky outsider looking after the little guy against the system against the big boys all right yeah, absolutely. and i think it's i mean don't get me wrong that is how he started and if you read his book mm -hmm. losing my virginity which is a phenomenal read and his follow-up was effort just do it right yeah um, both of these are fantastic books a lot of his businesses journeys were very much you know, setting up Virgin Records and, and standing up mm -hmm. to EMI and BMG and these other major yeah. organizations, setting up Virgin Atlantic and skirting past bankruptcy a number of times in a fight against yeah. British Airways. OK, and he did the same thing with in the UK, the rail system did the same thing again, you know, with attempting to do the same thing with the lottery and a number of other very diverse businesses. And what's also interesting is he's built up the Virgin brand so much that at least, I don't know for sure, but I believe it's something like at least half of the Virgin branded products out there are products that have got nothing to do with Virgin. They just license the name. Okay. Virgin okay. Mobile yep. in the UK, the carrier is not run by Virgin. They are, it's a carrier that licenses the name. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
Here in Vegas, we have Virgin Hotels. I can guarantee you Richard Branson did not build that hotel. He wasn't nope. there digging the foundations. <laughs> no, right? exactly. He wasn't there cutting the ribbon the day they exactly. opened. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, there are many of the Virgin businesses that he does have a hand in and does have overarching control over. And I'm sure mm -hmm. even the Virgin licensed businesses ones that he will have some form of control over because uh, as the licensor. All right. Mm -hmm. But the very fact that there's so much cachet to that brand, that logo, and that iconography, yeah. that people are going to pay a gazillion dollars for it, shows the strength of the brand. And to your point, the mm -hmm. genius of Richard Branson as a brand creator and guardian. Yeah, exactly. And he's going to be successful forever, you know, because of that brand that he built for himself and it attracts people to want to connect with him. And that is what sets him apart from all of these other companies. I mean, there's all sorts of other brands and like individuals out there. And some of them literally like came from nothing, but they established these brands behind themselves and have become some of, you know, the wealthiest people in the world. Oprah Winfrey is another one. Yeah, like she actually got fired like from her dream job uh, I think it was like as a newscaster or something and now again she's like one of the wealthiest people in the world so looking at Richard Branson looking at Oprah what would you say are the lessons that can be taken from their playbook that any entrepreneur irrespective of let's just assume for the mm -hmm. sake of this conversation, that the people that you're helping don't necessarily have Oprah's or Richard Branson's budget, okay? So, mm -hmm. assuming they don't have that kind of budget, okay, what lessons can they take from Sir Richard's or Oprah's playbooks that they can apply? Well, there's one that I'm going to put out there and it's a bit of a tongue twister, but I like to tell people is letting your freak flag fly. Sorry, sorry, tongue twister. And that is being like showing up really as you like authentic and authentic is a word that we hear a lot right now. It's like a buzzword in marketing, but I mean like truly genuinely authentic, like being yourself and putting yourself out there. It costs nothing to be yourself. And it is the most powerful thing that you have is your own personality. Because when people feel connected to you as an individual, they're more likely to want to buy from you. And that requires you to put another requirement is to put your face behind your brand. Because if I see all these people like out on social media and you look at their page and you literally don't see their, them at all. And they don't even put their name, like they have their business name and then they don't even have their name associated with it. It's like, okay, I don't know who you are. I don't feel a connection to you. Like I'm moving on to the next person. So the being yourself and then allowing yourself to put yourself out there and be authentically yourself, because until you can do that and until you can like actually settle into who you are and who your business is and what you want that to be, you're going to probably continue to get the same results. Which let's are stick on that. I'm going to drill into that if I may. Okay. Yeah. This is going to sound like an odd question, but let's just indulge me for a moment if, if, okay. if you would. Okay. <laughs> what happens if somebody doesn't know who they are? And I know who I am. I'm Simon Lager. Yeah. But it may well be that you could have somebody who doesn't necessarily know what mm -hmm. part of their personal values or, you know, who, who they are, the aspects of who they are resonates or will resonate with their audience or will mm -hmm. serve to build a rapport between themselves and their audience. Okay. Like, for example, there was an article in, I think it was Newsweek, but it could have been time, but I'm <laughs> going to say Newsweek recently that talks about bringing your whole self. And for those yeah. listening, I did a, an air quotes then, whole self <laughs> to work. Okay. And the advantages of doing so, right. And every workspace and every working environment should make it easy and comfortable and inviting for people to bring mm -hmm. the whole selves. And I'd say I read that and I was horrified. 
right? If I brought my whole self to work, can you imagine the amount of HR violations that I would commit, okay? And at the end of the day, there is a work Simon, there is a father of three kids Simon, there's a mm -hmm. husband to my wife Simon, there mm -hmm. is a podcast host Simon, there is a friend to my buddies Simon, mm -hmm. and so on and so on and so on, okay? We are all 360 degree multifaceted human beings, okay? that operate in three dimensions, okay? And there are the kind of conversations I have with my buddies, you know, over a beer would not be appropriate for me to have with a colleague at work, okay? The kind of conversations I have with my wife wouldn't be appropriate to have with perhaps my buddies, all right? Or well, certainly mm -hmm. not some of them, okay? And the kind of person I am as my kids would be wholly inappropriate to bring into the office. So with that, how does one determine what should be presented to their audience? Or to put it another way, mm -hmm. how does one edit their authenticity to be acceptable and to resonate and to attract an audience? Well, see, I might disagree with you a little bit in saying that you have to separate. Bring those. it on. <laughs> that you, you don't have to separate those. Now, there's a little bit of separation that might need to be had from a legal perspective. Like if you're hiring employees, for instance, because yes, of course, the way you talk to your wife, you're not going to talk to your employees because that could, oh, well, that's a result, lawsuit. that could, yes, result in a lawsuit, at least in the U.S. <laughs> so, well, the flip side, a divorce, but there we go. Oh yeah. Whichever way that goes. <laughs> <laughs> if I said to my wife, Hey, can you type this on my to me by five o'clock? Yeah, there'd be one thing typed up at five o'clock. Get out, go move in with your mom. Uh, yeah, so there is that piece. But when it comes to like, for instance, like if you're somebody who swears, why do you need to filter that? Like if that's you, if that's your personality, why do you need to filter that from your audience? Because your audience is drawn to you as an individual. And that's probably something that they actually find unique about you. Now, if you're just, you know, getting on the air and just dropping F-bomb after F-bomb, they might, you know, not want to listen to you. But if you swear in passing conversation, that's who you are as a person. You don't necessarily need to hide that. And again, yes, if you have children, you want to make sure that if they get wind of you being online and they go searching, that you're not ashamed of anything that they're finding out there. But at the same time, you know, being you, and it depends too, you know, and your brand and how you choose to approach that. Like for me, my brand is all based around freedom and that freedom-based lifestyle. So everybody that I hire, I only hire contractors because they want that freedom to make their own schedules, to have their own lives. And they want to dictate how that goes. So that for me is the way I set up my brand to be, you know, out front in front of people, but also how I grew my team to coincide with the brand that I was putting out there. So it's building your business in a way that is in alignment with your whole life and who you are and who you want to be, if that makes sense. And it does not happen from day one. And I'm not going to pretend that it does. It is a journey and it takes time to really understand. Cause like you said, you don't, what if they don't know who they are, right? Or who they can put out there, what version of themselves to put out there. I would suggest that, correct me if you feel I'm wrong, but the world today, like now, Mm -hmm. probably at its most polar politically oh, than yeah. it's been in living memory. Okay, that, that's one area to filter. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, you and I are having this conversation only a few days after the Supreme Court overturned every way. Yes. And we won't discuss that other mm -hmm. than to say that I'm sure your Facebook, your Twitter, even LinkedIn, and mine certainly, has blown up with people with very, very strong opinions on mm -hmm. both sides, okay? 
So if somebody did feel particularly strongly about a as potentially polarizing an issue as that, mm -hmm. if they went on and said, hey, buy my soft drinks. Oh, mm -hmm. by the way, I think that Roe v. Wade is fill in the blank, then mm -hmm. they are automatically going to polarize a proportion of their audience. Okay. Mm -hmm. So as well as, I mean, obviously I'm picking on a very raw example. Okay. Right. But in addition to politics, let me put it this way. If we're already filtering out and saying, maybe stay clear mm -hmm. of politics, what other areas that someone may feel strongly about would you encourage them to stay clear of? Yeah, there's two areas that I recommend that people steer clear of unless their brand aligns with these things, but that's religion and politics. Because those are just two hot button items that can really like really create some waves. But at the same time, like, again, I'm not going to put out there. I don't put out my preferences, religion or politics wise, because I'm of a very open mind that just because someone feels a certain way doesn't mean that I can't have a relationship with them. It may not be the same as somebody who aligns with me 100%, but it doesn't mean I can't help them. But at the same time, if that is something that you are super passionate about, if you're like, I have clients that, for instance, that only work with Christians and that's their choice and they are very vocal about it and that is their brand. So I think it's fine for you to talk about those things if your brand is built around those concepts, you know, so if right. you believe something politically and you put it out there, you're going to attract the people that agree with you. And that's totally fine because honestly, they're going to be loyal as hell. <laughs> like they're going to be very loyal to you right. if they know that you believe the same thing as them. Right. And I would even go as far as to say it would be perhaps disingenuous mm -hmm. for a brand that is so closely associated with maybe a particular religion or a particular political position mm -hmm. to not comment on it. So for example, if there was a business that, for example, let's just for a moment, park ourselves in the uncomfortable waters of Roe v. Wade, if there was an organization that perhaps assisted people with mm -hmm. abortions, for them mm -hmm. not to talk about Roe v. Wade would be silly. Similarly, an organization who identified very firmly in the opposite camp to not talk about it would also be silly. But if somebody's selling kitchen towels, all right, yeah. they may not necessarily feel, well, I wouldn't say feel the need, but it wouldn't necessarily help their brand to wade into a political issue if some of their customers mm -hmm. and potential customers are going to be pro and some are going to be anti unless it's something they felt very very strongly about there's nothing wrong with it if you do feel very strong because there are some you know talking about the like roe versus wade there's a lot of very big name companies who have spoken out you know against that decision and they have put their opinion out there and how they're going to support you know their employees and everybody else with that so they've taken a stance and said this is who i am and it's okay to do that it's absolutely okay to put yourself out there but like you said you're that is what you're kind of associating yourself with going forward and you may alienate some people and you need to be okay with that yeah but at the same time you're aligning yourself with the people that you truly want to work with and sometimes firing, you know, clients or alienating certain aspects of your audience can be a good thing too. It can be a good thing. It doesn't mean, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. Yeah, no, that's great. Let's elaborate on that for just a moment then. Okay. Something that actually in our pre-interview, something that you actually mentioned this point that sometimes it's actually good to put content out there that establishes your brand and puts you firmly in camp A. And sometimes be part of the characteristics of being in camp A is we are not like people in camp B whatever that is. Okay. So how would that help in brand building? But again, it establishes your brand voice. It establishes 
who you are as a person and as a brand and your belief system. And again, it just having a powerful personal brand or just a brand in general, that is what helps attract people to you. You know, people talk about attraction-based marketing all the time. And I see people that are new in their businesses, like again, just posting on social media, not really knowing what they're even putting out there. And they're not connected to anybody, but those people who have spoken out, you know, against in their beliefs and have been very honest with who they are. Those are the people that have people coming to them. Mm. They don't have to go find them. That's how you get people coming to you is when you can set yourself apart because you, you are the difference between yourself and your competitor. You, what makes you special. And at the end of the day, for companies to feel, well, when that made me appear small, when that made me people think I'm a one-man business, I want to see I'm punching above my weight, wouldn't that make me small? I suppose if Mark Zuckerberg can still be the face of Facebook, if mm-hmm. Russell Brunson can still be the face of ClickFunnels and all their associated businesses, yep. Richard Branson, Oprah, you know, yep. those aren't one-man businesses, but it's still a business that's where the brand is driven and guided by one individual. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like I no longer even consider my company just me. Like I talk about it in from a we perspective because I have a team, you know, I have a team of people and it isn't just me, but from the outside perspective, people look and I'm the face that they see. So I am the brand. So even though you're the face they see, they're seeing your content, and maybe even you're the person that's drawing them in, it doesn't mm-hmm. then matter if it's one of your team who then picks mm-hmm. up the baton and then works with the client because ultimately okay. the client knows this is all part of Laurie's framework. This is work right. that Laurie is either literally or philosophically signing off on. Right, exactly. Because it's all kind of hallmarked by her. Exactly. Right. Okay, great stuff. Now this is great. Laurie, what are your three tips for success? Three tips for success. So I'm going to go back to one that I actually already said, but that is let your freak flag fly. Okay. Be yourself. Absolutely. 100%. Number two, live on the edge of your comfort zone. Always take risks. And number three, ask. If you don't know something, ask. Don't sit there and try to figure it out based on what everyone else is putting out there. Just ask, you know, whoever it is that's putting it out there, you're going to save yourself so much time. Now, whether that's asking someone for free or you're hiring someone and asking them who's been there and done that, but get help, <laughs> get help from someone else because it's, you don't know everything. <laughs> absolutely. And you know what, just on your second point, one of the best pieces of advice I was ever given was become comfortable being uncomfortable. Yep. Because if you want to be in a successful entrepreneur, you are going to be uncomfortable much of the time. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I remember somebody once saying to me that steel is iron. That's just gone through heat and pressure. Love that. I have not heard that, but that's good. (laughs) Isn't that great? Yeah, love that. (laughs) Good stuff. And when you talk about asking and hearing advice, there is no better place than right here in the conference room. There we go. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So Laurie, what's next for you and for Zenial Traveler? Well, there's lots of new things coming, but what is next for me is launching some new programs so that we can serve a bigger audience and helping them to build their brands and to really come into their own in the online space. So going to be starting some new masterminds as well as some new membership and workshop things coming out here. Very nice. Are any of them open for early registration? The mastermind absolutely is open for early registration. Yes. Okay, great. So we'll make sure we post links to it in the show notes. So Laurie, if people wanted to reach out to you or to work with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Best way, we're talking a lot about social media, is to connect with me on social media. Over on Instagram, I'm uh, at Zenial Traveler, and you'll have the spelling, I'm sure, in yeah, the show notes. Yeah, that's with an X, not with a Z. 
X. Yes, because it is with an it's X. It's not the Xennial, which I kept saying until you corrected me before we hit record. Yeah. And Traveler is the U.S. spelling, not the U.K. And otherwise to join our Facebook group, uh, because that is where I spend a lot of my time and where you can get the most hands-on experience just with me and working with me. So that is the build and scale a profitable business work from anywhere. Facebook. Great stuff. And again, we'll make sure there are links posted to that in the show notes below. Laurie, thank you so much for joining us here in the conference room. It's been an absolute joy chatting with you and uh, understanding the real mechanics in brand building and authenticity and knowing exactly how to put yourself out there to build an audience. So Laurie Conkler, thank you so much for joining us here in the conference room. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you visit our website, theconferenceroompodcast.com, where you can find all the show notes plus links to the resources mentioned during the podcast. If you enjoyed listening to this, make sure you subscribe so that you're always the first to know when each episode is released. Also, please take the time to review the podcast so the more people who want to grow their businesses can find us. To talk about this or any other podcast, or in fact anything business-related whatsoever, find me on Twitter, at Simon Lader, or you can find me by searching for Simon Lader or Silesia Academy on Facebook or on LinkedIn. I'm always open to a conversation. Thanks for listening to The Conference Room. Until next time, keep talking. Keep talking.